Welcome to the Topeka First Assembly podcast. We hope this message serves as an encouragement to you. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so online at www.topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Well, I'm glad you're here. It's wonderful to see you this morning. I am not going to preach. We're going to have um, Alan White come this morning. Alan um, has spent the last 30 years helping people find Christ and make meaningful connections uh, to grow in their faith and find fulfillment in ministry. He's launched literally hundreds of small groups, um, and he has served as the associate pastor at New Life Christian Church in California um, and at Brookwood Church in South Carolina. And Alan has had the privilege of coaching over 1,500 churches um, of all sizes and denominations over the last 16 years. And he's the author of several books. Um, so he's taught at Topeka First in the past, in previous years, and um, their entire family serves here. And so we're so grateful to have um, Alan and Tiffany and their family as a part of our congregation. Um, his, his father serves on our board, and um, he spent some of his most formative years here under uh, Pastor Rose. And so we're excited to welcome him this morning. So we're going to hear the word from Alan White this morning. (coughs) I brought my coffee. Maybe this will make it go a little faster. So I was just thinking I probably haven't spoken here in almost 25 years. Um, but uh, yeah, I grew up here. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'll give you a little background. Pastor Michael did already. So I think there's a picture there. You want to show the picture? There we go. Our family joined First Assembly in 1969. So my mom and dad, Rudy and Alice White, that was back when my dad had, no, he didn't have hair then either. Um, <laughs> and my, my sister, Dorena. So uh, great history here at First Assembly. I was baptized in this baptistry when I was nine years old. Uh, preached my first sermon in the chapel when I was uh, 17, and uh, just so many people that have invested in me, poured in me, into my life, and I know there's just a couple of you that were here in 69, I won't point out who, and I will say that they were just children at the time themselves, but um, anyway, um, just great to be here and to bless the last 38 years. I've been gone from Topeka, went to Springfield to go to school, served a couple churches, wrote a couple of books. Um, I did get a chance to visit with Pastor Rose. Uh, I think there's a picture of me and him that's coming up here. Here we are. Um, Back in December. Uh, He is 94. He'll be 95 in July. I called him on his 93rd birthday, and he says, Alan, he said, I'm 93 years old. He said, all my friends are up in heaven saying, what happened to Rose? (laughs) But I tell you what, that man is as sharp as a tack. I mean, he is as sharp as he was when he was our pastor back in the 60s and 70s. He's actually my pastor twice, first in Lawrence and then um, in Topeka. So that's a little bit about me. Um, so let's, let's talk about our subject today, and that is this, that God wants you to live in peace. God wants you to live in peace. But I'll go one further. God wants you to live in peace in every circumstance. In every circumstance, even when things aren't peaceful, And Paul gives us the formula for this in Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be made evident to all. The Lord is near. 
Be anxious, or do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Whatever you have learned or received or have heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the peace of God will be with you. I have a few problems with these verses. All right, here we go. So let's look at that first one. Rejoice in the Lord always. My problem is with the word always. Rejoice in the Lord always. You're walking through your house at night. It's dark. You stub your toe on the couch. Do you feel like rejoicing? Because I'll be honest with you. There are things that happen. There are days that I do not feel like rejoicing. So I'm feeling like something may be missing a little bit, you know, in this verse. So let's go on to my next problem. And that is it says, let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. So I was taking this verse in a Bible study with a group. And a member of the group says, she says, well, what if you're not gentle? And she wasn't. Um, what do you do then? Because the verse almost sounds scolding in a way. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. You know, we used to hear about the all-seeing eye of God. Remember the all-seeing eye of God sees you when, you know, when you're being bad and it's going to get you. That's kind of how it felt. So if you're not gentle, the Lord's near. He's going to get you if you're, not, uh, if you're not gentle. Well, I don't think that's where this is going. So my next problem was the next verse, and that is this. Do not be anxious about anything. And I took this as, you know, like one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not be anxious. But the problem was, I get anxious. Do you get anxious? Do you ever worry about anything? And I thought, well, if I had enough faith, if I had enough trust in God, I wouldn't ever get anxious. But the reality is there are plenty of things in the world these days to get anxious about, right? You want to go home and get anxious this afternoon? Turn on your cable news and you will instantly be anxious. And you will notice at the top of every hour they have what? Breaking news. Now, is there actually breaking news? No, because you're about to stop watching and do something else. But, oh, there's breaking news. I better keep watching. Because what the cable news industry has learned, and I'm not telling you which one, it's all of them, um, is that we can become addicted to outrage. They can get us worked up. And why do they want us to get addicted to outrage? Because it increases their viewership and they make more money. No, no, not my channel. They say all that because they care about me. They don't care about you. They care about making money. There's lots of things to be anxious about. We can look at our finances. We can look at our, our relationships, our neighbors, our health, our employers, all of these things we can look at around us and become very, very anxious. You know, we have such a high use of social media, and I'm right there with everybody else. And, you know, the end result of most social media is feeling depressed. Feeling depressed because either we're overwhelmed by all these things that are going on in the world or feeling depressed because we're comparing ourselves with everybody else. Now, most people in social media present 
the pretty, happy, bright moments of their lives. Or they just flat out make stuff up. People don't present the real moments of their lives. They don't present the discouraging moments of their lives. And if they do, we all think that they're suicidal, right? But we compare our ordinary days, we compare our bad days with these people's perfect Pinterest, perfect Instagram, perfect lives and quotes and all of that stuff. And we don't go away feeling encouraged. We go away feeling discouraged. There's a lot of things that cause us to feel anxious. And I don't need to go on and on about that. But here's the thing. Anxiety is not a sin. Anxiety is an emotion. And our emotions have a purpose. Now, I know we're all Kansans. And as good Midwesterners, uh, we don't have emotions. And if we have emotions, we're in denial of those emotions. But our emotions do serve a purpose. So I'm spending most of my time these days, in addition to doing a little writing, a little church consulting, I spend the majority of my time as a service advisor over here at Briggs. And uh, so people come in, and they have all these colorful lights on their dashboard um, that only pop up when they, they know they have to come in for service. So when you look at your dashboard in your car and certain lights pop up, you know that there's a problem. The problem is not the light. The light is an indicator of a problem. So I had a man call the other day, and he said, I've got this light that's come up on my car. He said, it looks like a teacup, and it has a little drop coming out of it. And I thought, a, a teacup? Maybe like a genie's lantern, but a teacup? I said, well, that's your check engine light, or your oil light, rather. And so you need to make sure that you have oil in your car. Um, it, it's interesting because it's funny that I'm a service advisor because I'm the guy that's never changed his own oil, right? But I do good at interpreting what the mechanics say to the customers. I'm like, explain this to the guy who's never changed his own oil. And, and what I'm finding is that there are people that are actually dumber at automotive stuff than I am, and I'm just astonished. But what do these check engine lights mean? Is the check engine light the problem? If the check engine light was the problem, you just need to get a piece of black electrical tape and put it over your check engine light on your dash or whatever other lights on your dash and just ignore it. But it's telling you that there's a problem. It's telling you that there's something that's going on. This is how anxiety works in our life. When we're feeling anxious, when we're feeling worried, you know what that indicator is saying on our emotional dashboard? You are out of your depth. You are overdriving your headlights. You are going beyond... Um, you're getting ahead of God in what God is doing in your life. You need to slow down. You need to consult back with God and see what's going on there. It's not wrong to be anxious. It doesn't mean that you don't trust the Lord. It doesn't mean that you don't have enough faith. It means that you're human and you're anxious. Now, anxiety can do all kinds of terrible things to us. It's, and I, I've studied anxiety for a lot of years because I've struggled with anxiety for a lot of years. And what I know is this, that what we think about in a way can become what we really experience, even if we're not experiencing those things. This is what I mean. Who's ever ridden on a roller coaster, right? And there's a thrill to a roller coaster, right? Why is there a thrill to the roller coaster? Because you know I'm on an amusement park ride. I'm going to have fun. But the thrill comes because your, your body, your system thinks, I'm going to die. I'm falling off a cliff at a high rate of speed. I'm going to die. And that's why we get the thrill, and that's why it's fun. 
and then we get off, we go run around, get back in line and do it again. So when we begin to think through all the terrible scenarios of what might happen in our lives, well, I'm having a financial problem and I can't pay my bills. And if I can't pay my bills, I can't make my rent, I can't make my house payment, then I'm going to get kicked out of my house and I'm going to get on my, you know, live on the street. I can live in my car until I can't make my car payment and they're going to come get the car and then I'm going to be homeless and then all of these things. And we go down that road and what we begin to experience physiologically is as if those things are actually happening to us. Same thing with our health, same thing with our relationships, with anything else, that just by thinking about those things, our bodies go through the same processes as if those events were actually happening to us. We can think about things a different way, and we're going to get to that in a minute. So God gives us instructions for when we find ourselves to be anxious. And these are his, his instructions. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. So just the big things? No, in every situation, things that are big and small. I was driving to work the other morning, and I was praying about things that I normally pray about, about blessing my family, blessing my day, finding favor with my customers, you know, helping me to, you know, keep it together and not lose it if things get stressful. All those things that I'm praying, needs that are coming up, kids going to college, you know, all of these sorts of things. And I stopped in my prayer and I said, Lord, are you tired of hearing me pray these same things? Are, are you, am I just whining? I mean, this is not even praying, this is just whining. I keep talking about the same things over and over and over again. And the Lord spoke to me in that moment, and he said, Alan, he said, you're not made to do this by yourself. Because you and I are made to depend on God. You and I are made to do our life with God. And I think oftentimes I find myself in a situation where I know God, I believe God, I trust God, and that's all good, but when it comes down to it, I'm depending on myself. And I know I'm the only one here that falls into that category. And God said, you need to ask. You need to ask. And we see over and over in Scripture that you talk about the Heavenly Father provides good gifts for us, that he will give us beyond all we could ask or imagine, whether it's a large thing or whether it's a small thing, God wants us to invite him into our life. Not only does that reduce our anxiety, it helps us to live the lives we were intended to live. So in every situation, there's no situation that's too small. Tiffany and I are on the prayer team. And uh, people come up at the end of the service. And, and some of you that have never come up, you think, oh, man, they're coming up for prayer. They must, their lives must be completely falling apart. No. Whatever you're concerned about, whatever you're worried about. Come, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in your midst. And we need to agree with brothers and sisters. And we need to, I mean, I, I came up, I had a problem with my shoulder that had been going on for months. And I came up and uh, Josie and Sarah prayed for me and I walked away and that shoulder didn't hurt anymore. Those things can happen. Those things can happen when we agree, when we pray. And so we carry all this stuff around. We try to depend on ourselves. And God doesn't intend us to do that. 
And so we don't need to apologize to God for asking him for what we need. Now, God can define whether, you know, between our needs and our greeds, right? So we don't need to worry about, oh, I'm asking too much. No, no. God will define our needs and our greeds. But, um, but we need to depend on God. So how does this go? Um, when you're anxious, make your request known to God by prayer and petition. So why is it prayer and petition? Because you think of petition, somebody sitting out in front of Walmart, and they want you to sign a list. You know, that's a petition. So if I get enough of you, I, I really need God to answer this prayer. So would you sign my petition? And if enough of you sign, then God's, that does not help work. It's just double emphasizing prayer. That when we're anxious, anxiety is the signal that we need to pray. How often do we need to pray? We need to pray every time we're anxious. Well, what if I'm anxious all day long? Guess what you're going to be doing all day long? Praying. Praying. That's our indication of I'm beyond what I can do. I'm out of my depth. This is out of control to me. I can't solve this. Then we pray. Then we pray. And then we follow what God directs us to do. That's the other interesting thing. I've been a Christian for over 50 years. Yeah, that's a long time. I haven't grown for 50 years, but I've been a Christian for 50 years. And it always surprised me that I would pray about stuff, but then would be surprised when God answered my prayer. We shouldn't be surprised when God answers our prayer, right? I don't know who we think God is, but uh, yeah, you, Alan's not, you're not getting that. You don't deserve that. Forget it. I don't deserve anything is the thing. If God gives me anything, I'm grateful. But when we pray, we need to expect God to give us direction. We pray because nothing's impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. So, we take our request to God with prayer, by prayer and petition, and then there's another little caveat there, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Why thanksgiving? God doesn't need to be reminded about all the good things he's done in your life. But you do, and I do. Think about this. You've already survived all of the worst days of your life. Right? And if today's the day, you're going to survive that one too, right? You've already survived the worst days of your life. So you think about that time when I didn't think I was going to make it, that time I had the health problem, the time that I lost my job, the time that I had a struggle in my family. I prayed and God answered my prayer and this is where I am now. You go back and you look at the Bible and it tells us over and over again, remember, 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 remember. Remember the good things that God has done. And then we say, okay, if God could meet me then, if God could pull me through that situation, if God could provide in that desperate time, if God could perform that miracle then, I know he can do it now. I know he can do it now and remind ourselves of that because we get forgetful and we get anxious and we get worried. If God could do it then, God could do it again now. So every time we're anxious, I know I'm saying this like a million times, make your request known to God by prayer and petition with thanksgiving and then God gives us something we absolutely do not deserve and that is this. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Has your situation changed? No. But you get peace. So, 
This next part, if you're a Trekkie, it would, it'll help you. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about space-time. So we're up, we go through time, right? So we do before and during and after. And as human beings, that's how we operate. Before, during, and after. Before church today, you thought we're going to go to church. We're going to have a great service. During church, you're like, we have to listen to this Alan White guy. And after church, you're going to be like, thank God that's over. I understand. I understand. So that's how we operate in the process of time. So Rick Warren uh, says it this way. He says, you're always in three places in your life. You're either in a problem, coming out of a problem, or going into the next problem. So before, during, and after. Here's the great thing about God. God, doesn't, God isn't limited to space and time. God exists outside of time. Oh, okay, now it's getting weird. Find your Trekkie friends. They're going to help you through this. But think about this. God already knows the end result. God already knows the resolution of the thing that you're going through right now. God already knows because he doesn't have to wait for it to happen. God just already knows. So I'm going to share a little bit of my own life. Um, I'm not doing this to say I've had far worse problems than anybody else has. You know, and, and I'm, not, you know, I'm not saying it that way. I'm just sharing because it's my experience. So I went to... Um, Central Bible College for four years and got a degree. And then I went to the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary for three years and got a degree. So seven years of, I call it my seven years of tribulation in Springfield, Missouri. And got my two degrees and started sending out resumes. Where's God going to send me? And I picked all the states that I might want to go. Maybe God wants me to go to Hawaii. Maybe God wants me to go to California. Maybe God doesn't want me to go to the South. Um, you know, so I, I said, and then all of these opportunities... And school ended, and my lease was ending on my apartment, and I packed up all my belongings, and I moved back here to Topeka, back to my room in my parents' basement. And I thought, well, I've got about a month, so maybe in a month, you know. And at the time, you know, I was young and full of myself, as, you know, people that are 25 tend to be. I had a dear friend here who was our church secretary, Ona Mae Price. Anybody remember Ona Mae? Ona Mae would say to me, Alan, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God will deal with your pride. I loved Ona Mae. I hated that she prayed that because she was absolutely right. So I'm sitting nothing, 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 nothing. And then it's like I ran out of money. So now I've got to get a job. I'd spent the last three years while I was in seminary working at a Howard Johnson in Springfield, Missouri on North Glenstone. So I applied for a job out to what used to be the clubhouse inn out on Wanamaker. It's now called something else. And so I have, you know, I have a bachelor's degree in biblical studies and missions. I have a master of divinity in Christian education. And all I feel qualified to do is work the front desk of a hotel like I had the previous three years. And I'm like, great. I wasted all that money. I've got a student loan. Wasted the last seven years of my life. All I'm going to do is work at the hotel. I have no connections. I have no prospects. What am I going to do? Well, God was using that opportunity as something else to work on me, work on my pride. And for six months, I waited and waited. I had one guy from Michigan, one pastor, wanted me to come work for him for free. Um, that wasn't going to work. Um, because I had the student loan pending, right? And so waited and waited and waited and cried out to God. And then suddenly, within about a 10-day period of time, I got a call from a church in California, and I got a call from a church in Indiana, and I got a call from a church in Texas. And I said, okay, Lord, where, where do I go? Which one do I pick? And so I thought, well, I'll just take them in order. And California was first, so that was an easy choice. 
So I flew out to California. I flew into San Francisco. This pastor and his son and the music minister had happened to um, go to college with. I didn't like him. But anyway, I knew him. Uh, but anyway, um, so they meet me at the airport, and I step off the plane, and I shake the pastor's hand, and God tells me something about this pastor, just gives me a word which was not a good word. And I said, so, Lord, do I just turn around and get back on the plane and fly home, or what do I do? And the Lord's like, just kind of hang tight. So I'm there this weekend, and it's like things feel right, but this thing God told me feels very wrong. And I thought, well, what am I supposed to do? And then God said, this is where I want you to be. And I'm like, wait a minute. It's like I'm feeling set up. Maybe it was, you know, maybe it was wrong. Maybe I had indigestion. Maybe I, that wasn't, I didn't really hear what God told me. And then a year and a half later, what God told me turned out to be absolutely true. And this pastor that had founded this church had to resign. And we had about 300 people in the congregation. We had a music minister and a youth pastor and me. Uh, the senior pastor's father was on staff at the time. And all of the staff left except for me. I was trying to leave, but God wouldn't release me. And about two-thirds of the congregation left. So it was me and 85 people. And I'm imagining what I'd seen happen in churches before, and that is the new pastor's going to come in. He's going to clear the deck. He's going to fire all the staff. So now I'm going to lose this job. And then where am I going to go? Because I was single, I was 28 years old, I didn't know where I was going to go. And, um, and the Lord said, well, you need to stay. And so the very end of, of that year, our new pastor came on. I was 28 at the time, he was 30. And then God began to grow that church, not dramatically, but about, about 100 people a year. And today, that senior pastor, Dave Larson, has been there for 30 years. And uh, the church is about 3,500 people. And people would go back and they would try to give me credit for keeping the church together during that rather tumultuous year. And I thought, you know, I was just trying to keep myself together. I, was a, I didn't have the ability to keep the church together. The only qualification I had was I stayed because I was, you know, too afraid to leave. And so what do you do with that? Well, those were anxious times. It was anxious that summer after I completed seminary and didn't know where I was going to go or where God was going to use me and didn't have any prospects... And then it was hard a year and a half later, but I tell you what, a year and a half later when everything broke loose at that church, I was good to know that I was there because that's where God wanted me. And it wasn't because of my own talent or ability, which were given to me by God anyway, right? It wasn't because of me, my charming personality, that I ended up there. It was there. I was there because God wanted me to be there. Because when things fell apart, I needed something stronger to cling on to than myself. I needed the Lord. So all of this to say that. That summer when I didn't have any prospects and didn't know where I was going to go or if I was even going to serve in ministry, had I known that God was going to lead me to a church that was going to fall apart, I probably would have gone to Texas. But that's where God wanted me to be. But knowing that I stayed, not only has that church succeeded, but I met my wife and I have my four children but for being in that church. So, yeah. So that summer when things were so desperate for me and I thought there were no prospects, and I know this sounds like such whining, but anyway, it's my, my story. It's my whiny story. You can tell your own whiny story. Um, if I had known that summer, God had not forgotten me, that God was preparing me. 
that one day the outcome would be, 30 years later, to have a wife and four beautiful children, to have helped a church succeed, to have the ability from that church to launch into a national ministry and work with a lot of other churches, that that summer that God needed to work on me, that it was okay that it felt desperate. It was okay that it didn't line up with the plan I had in my mind because God already knew the resolution to that story when I was in that desperate situation. So think about this. The thing that you're worried about, the thing that you're struggling with today, God already knows the resolution to that situation in your life. Not only does he know the resolution to that situation, God knows the peace that you will experience when that situation is resolved. So this is why it's great that God isn't bound to time like we are. Because when we feel anxious and we take our request to God with prayer and petition, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, the peace of God that transcends all understanding will comfort our hearts and minds. The peace of God that will come when the situation is resolved, we can have right now. You close your eyes, you pray and give this to God, you've experienced God's peace, you open your eyes and guess what? Nothing has changed except God has given you peace that you do not rightfully deserve in the situation because he already knows the end. He's already resolved the situation. God wants you to live in peace. You know, what happens in our lives is not necessarily by accident. It's not always good. You know, when our oldest was in the hospital, in a very long hospitalization, and I, some of you know that story. Some of you prayed for Sam when he was little. You know, we begin to wonder, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? And uh, what we discovered was, bad things happen to everybody. But thank God you have God in your life to cling on to. You know, the Bible says there's one command in Scripture that's repeated more than any other command. And that command is, fear not. Fear not. Fear not appears 365 times in the Bible. And there are 365 days in the year. So you're good every day of the year except for leap year. Then you have one day you can worry about it. Um, no. It says fear not. Fear not. So think about this. You, take, you feel anxious. You give those things to God in prayer and petition with thanksgiving. You receive God's peace. Then what is the quality of your life at that point? What would your life be like if you experienced peace like that? Well, if I experience God's peace like that, then we'll go back to verse 4 that we were talking about, that I was having a problem with. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. I may not rejoice because of my situation, but I can rejoice in my situation knowing that God is going to work it out, knowing that I'm going to experience God's peace. And then we go to that next verse. Oh, actually, we'll, we'll go to a couple more about that. Um, Psalm 5 says, But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them, let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. 1 Peter 4, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on 
you, to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Psalm 119, I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. When you're at peace, you can rejoice. Maybe not rejoice because of the situation, but rejoice because God's near. Rejoice because God is going to give you peace that passes all understanding. And when you're at peace, guess what? You can also be gentle. When do you find is the best time to be gentle? When you're at peace or when you're stressed out? Anybody can be gentle? Can any of you be gentle when you're stressed out? I can't. If you can, you're exceptional. And how can I be gentle? How can I be at peace? Because the Lord is near. When we think, God, have you forgotten me? God, do you know what I'm going through right now? He does. He's there. He's with you. He's there to help you. He's near. Now we go down the line of, well, God, if you're near me, how could you let this happen to me? Well, bad things happen to everybody. It rains on the just and the unjust, right? But be thankful that in our problems that the Lord is near and we can call on him and we can depend on him. And so when we're at peace, we can be gentle. So let me ask you this, and you don't have to say this out loud. What are you worried about right now? A worry is anything you think about more than three or more times a day. Oh, man. Well, I'm worried about eating then. Um, <laughs> what else am I worried about? What, what keeps going around in your mind? That's a worry. That's, that's something that you're anxious about. And so every time you worry, you need to pray. Every time you worry, you need to pray. There was a, a lady who was caught up in anxiety and worry. She went to see a Christian counselor and explained everything that was going on and all the anxiety problems and all of these things that she was experiencing. And he gave her a card. And on one side of the card, it had in big red letters the word stop. And then the other side of it, it had Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing. Um, make your request to God, right? So he said, this is what you need to do. Every time you start to get anxious, every time you start to worry, you need to get the card out and you need to read it out loud to yourself. And you need to say, stop. Stop. Because you can tell your brain what to do. Did you know this? Stop. Stop. And then turn it over and read the verse on the back. So the next week she comes in for an appointment. And he says, well, how did it go? She said, well, the first day um, I tried this, she said I had to get the card out uh, 20 times. And she was a little embarrassed. Because she was that anxious, that worried, had to get the... But she said, by the end of the week, I only had to get it out twice. And this is a little exercise you can do with yourself when you're worried about something. You tell your brain to stop. Just tell it out loud. I mean, not in front of people, because they're going to think, you know, uh, something's a little off. But, um, but tell yourself to stop. And your, your mind will listen to, you know, what your words are saying. And then remind yourself of that and take it, take it to God. Beyond that, we have to work on guarding our thoughts. And so Paul gives us a little checklist about guarding our thoughts here. Um, Proverbs 23. Um, actually, I skipped that one. We're good. Okay. So Proverbs 23, the King James says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Or as a man thinketh, so is he. So what do you imagine for yourself? Do you imagine good things happening? Do you imagine bad things happening? Because if we focus on all these bad things that could happen, they can kind of become a self-fulfilling prophecy. But we can also focus on good things that happen. It's important when we tell ourselves. It's important when we think about ourselves. And we need to tell ourselves the truth. But Paul gives us this checklist. And he says this. 
He said, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And so we need to, when we have that worry, we have that thought, the thing that's nagging at us, we need to stop and we say, okay, what, what's, what's true? I remember I was worried about something one time, and I don't remember what it was. And I, I told a friend of mine, I said, I'm really worried about this thing, and I told him what the worry was. And he looked at me and he said, Alan White, that's about the stupidest thing I've ever heard come out of your mouth. And I was so relieved. And I thought, what a good friend to have that could tell me that I was, you know, my thinking was stupid and I didn't need to worry about that. But what is true? Well, I'm worried because I have this pain and I think it might be something that might cause me to die. Well, go talk to your doctor. Get it examined. Find out what the truth is instead of worrying about all of these things that might happen. Right? Whatever's noble. Noble's an odd word nowadays, but the idea of does it have moral character? Is it going to be for good or is it going to be for bad? Whatever's right, is this the right thing to think? Is it a pure thing to think? Is it a lovely thing to think about myself or about somebody else? And kind of go through this checklist. And if my thoughts aren't lining up for this, then I need to surrender that thought to the Lord and let him put my thoughts back on the track where they need to go. God wants you to live at peace. Even when circumstances aren't peaceful, God wants you to live at peace. And when you're anxious, and that can happen more often than not for folks, when you're anxious, whether it's big or whether it's small, God says to give that over to him. Because he wants to be involved in your life. He wants to be engaged in your life. It's not all up to you. God wants to partner with us. God wants to be a part of our life. And the only parts of our life that God's not a part of are the ones where we don't invite him in. And so just invite him in. Just invite him in. And when we do that, we're going to get his peace that doesn't make any sense, that passes all understanding, peace from the future that we get right now. And that's how he wants to live our life. So then we can live our life rejoicing. There's a song on the radio I like. I'm not going to sing it. But it says, on my best days, I'm a child of God. On my worst day, I'm a child of God. Every day is a good day, and you're the reason why. And then it talks about, I'm so blessed. But we used to have an old song, you know, count your blessings one by one, right? Remind ourselves of all the good things that God's done. This is what God wants for us. So we're going to close. Um, prayer teams will be up here if you guys have anything. If you're anything you're worried about, you need to pray about. Uh, you can pr partner with the prayer team or... Um, you can pray on your own. But give your requests to God. God doesn't want you to be tied up in knots. God doesn't want you to be anxious. He wants you to live in peace.